heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. This is was remarkable. The turnaround in the UK. Uh, did you see this with the uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson? I mean, I, and I'm wondering. Uh, well, I want to get Dr. Peter McCullough's opinion on this in a moment, but this was fascinating. Uh, you know, it was just a few weeks ago, uh, really the third, fourth week of December, where they were tightening mandates, and I mean, really tightening mandates, forcing mask mandates, vaccine mandates, urging people to work from home. I mean, the sky was falling over the uh, the Omicron surge, you know. And then you see that uh, the UK has relaxed the uh, totally. I mean, just like just like took all the air out of the balloon all at once. I had to read the headline three, four times when I first seen it because I, I just didn't even believe it was happening. But include they relaxed all the mandates, even the vaccine passports, and you know. So interesting place to start, my friends, in this Q&A, but I, I just wonder if it isn't a telltale sign. Oh, surely it must be it's very positive, of course, because they've been so oppressive out there in the UK. Potentially, this is a sign of things to come now as, as governments will have to do this and back off the gas uh, and let people get on with their lives. Let's bring on now Dr. Peter McCullough joins me. He's an academic internist, cardiologist, epidemiologist from Dallas, Texas. Uh, Dr. McCullough has been a, well, a whirlwind phenomenon for so many. How do I know that? <laughs> I know that because you reached to me and the tens and tens of thousands of people that reached to the network with personal emails and stories, and uh, it is remarkable. So, Dr. McCullough, this story with the uh, Prime Minister of UK, Boris Johnson, this complete turnaround, this shocked me. Uh, did you have a, a, for, a forethought of this comment? Did you see this comment or was you surprised as well? We started to see cracks uh, emerging, including some statements out of the European Health Agency, European Medicine Agency, and the WHO. But what Boris Johnson basically did was capitulation on all of the mandated measures. Uh, you know, being through this now for two years, it's hard to believe this is almost too good to be true. And we're thinking maybe this could be choreography for a backswing. And maybe the backswing is, uh, you know, for your freedoms. Now we must have 100% compliance with forever boosters. Uh, we'll have to see how things develop. But I was preparing for this last night on Fox News for Laura Ingram. It never came up. But I have to tell you, there does seem to be changes in sympathy across so many different walks of life. Yeah, it it, uh, it is remarkable. And uh, our uh, uh, dear associate here, uh, Dr. Stephen Latula, wrote about this on the platform, friends, England's COVID liberation, real or ruse, uh, and which is exactly the sentiments you're saying here, Dr. McCullough. So we will see, but it was quite a, an about face that took place here. Now, this is our 14th uh, Q&A, um, my fellow Americans, and we're going to get started. We have a lot of questions here, and uh, let's let's address as many of these as we possibly can. Uh, there's a couple of themes running through a lot of these um, that are very interesting. This first one is from Alyssa. 
And she says, firstly, thank you for all your hard work and dedication to providing truth to the public when so much of what we are being told by the government, public health officials and doctors are wrong. It's a great segue from the story we just talked about with the UK. Uh, can you tell me what your thoughts are on having recovered naturally from COVID-19 and the antibodies? My whole family and I got COVID over the Christmas break and we are unvaccinated and we had moderate cold flu symptoms and now we are back to our usual selves with the exception of sense of smell, taste, etc. My husband's job has now announced that they are requiring the vaccine or weekly testing. What are the dangers of having COVID naturally and then getting vaccinated? Wasn't there a thought that you should not get vaccinated for 90 days after having COVID? Is there any data suggestion that recovered from COVID gives you much greater natural immunity antibodies than being vaccinated? Uh, what are your thoughts on how to fight this? Natural immunity is certainly more substantial and more durable than vaccine immunity, for sure. Omicron has broken through the natural immunity of the, uh, the previous strains, although Omicron is very mild in someone who's naturally immune. It's brief. It may last a few hours to a few days. It's really inconsequential. Uh, what we know is that the FDA excluded COVID recovered patients from the clinical trials. The FDA knew COVID recovered patients could not benefit and could be harmed. And now there are multiple studies. We have them up on our platform, Raw, Kramer, Methudius for short, show that if a COVID recovered person takes a vaccine, which they shouldn't, they have a much higher rate of adverse events, including being landed in the hospital with a serious injury. Right. And that paper that uh, Dr. McCullough mentions there, the Royal Kramer uh, Methodicus, uh, that is on the platform. Just go to his page on the McCullough report or uh, under the nav bar, my, my friends, and you'll get it right there. And that, that's been one that's been widely, widely looked at as well and read. Um, this next one is from Kelly. Uh, can Dr. McCullough talk more about uh, pericarditis? Everyone mentions myocarditis, but there are never any stats uh, mentioned for pericarditis. In Australia, there are twice as many reports of pericarditis than myocarditis from vaccines. I've heard a lot of antidotal stories of people diagnosed with pericarditis from the first dose and getting much worse following their second dose. Vaccine mandates in Australia mean people need to be double dosed to keep their job. Just listen to what we're saying here. Uh, have any studies been done comparing rates of uh, pericarditis from the vaccines versus from COVID infection? Or is there any studies comparing rates of pericarditis from first dose and it occurring after the second dose or subsequent boosters? The point of this, Dr. McCullough, she's got a she's a mother of a 16 year old boy who got pericarditis uh, from his first Pfizer vaccine, by the way, and they can't get a medical exemption to save their lives, clearly, or religious exemption out there. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, it appears that some countries uh, diagnose preferentially and use the term pericarditis as opposed to myocarditis. It is a continuum. The heart muscle is the myo. The covering on the heart is the peri. So the two structures are contiguous with one another. The heart is in a sac. Uh, almost always when we do MRI studies, there is myopericarditis. And in fact, both are involved. It may be that in your country that MRI is not frequently done. And so they're simply saying if there is uh, EKG changes without elevations in troponin or uh, echocardiographic findings, that's pericarditis. And if those other two are present, it's myopericarditis. I think it's basically a continuum. Uh, one ought to consider that if there is pericardial inflammation, there's likely heart inflammation, uh, it's likely to recur. So once someone has had it on the first shot, 
or a second shot, they should never receive any more vaccination. Okay. All right. This next one's from Kathleen. Uh, the American frontline doctors said uh, for my husband to take 18 milligrams of ivermectin for five days. Uh, for me, 15 of, of ivermectin for 10 days. I'm 45 with no health issues, uh, 5'1", 145 pounds. My husband's 48, has sleep apnea, is 6'2". Um, uh, yeah, so six feet, rather 210 pounds. My husband tested positive for COVID three days ago, he has been on ivermectin and Z-Pak and the vitamin D, zinc, vitamin C, still has a temperature of 102.8. Is there anything else we can do? I'm doing the calculations right now, but for a 210 pound man, the top dose that of ivermectin that would be used would be 57 milligrams a day. That would be 600 micrograms per kilogram. And then for uh, that same person on the low end of the ivermectin doses, it would be 19 milligrams. So it sounds based on what I'm hearing right now, though I can't provide direct medical advice. It sounds like the doses of ivermectin are low. Remember the three dose uh, levels that are used are 200 micrograms, 400 micrograms, or 600 micrograms per kilogram of body weight a day. And then the number of days ranges from uh, a low of three days uh, to as many as 30 days. So there's quite a range. Uh, you have to work with the doctors on that to get the right dose. Yeah. Uh, Casey says, can you share any advice for pregnant uh, women related to prevention and treatment for the Omicron variant? I'm 22 weeks pregnant and concerned about catching the virus again. I had it in January 21 and still have antibodies. I realize the antibodies may not be as effective with Omicron, so I'm looking for the most effective way to protect myself from severe COVID during pregnancy. Severe COVID is not going to happen. Uh, Omicron is a very mild illness in those who are fully COVID recovered. Pregnancy is a protected state. It's not a risk state. Pregnant women have a lower risk of bad COVID outcomes, as shown by Pinellas and colleagues in Ennals Internal Medicine. Uh, and it's really, I think, a false narrative that pregnant women are told that they're immunocompromised or that they're high risk for COVID. They're not. In fact, they're low risk for COVID. In this particular case, I think nothing more than dilute hydrogen peroxide nasal washes uh, done after coming back from congregate settings or if exposed to someone with COVID is all that's needed. How that is done is three quarters teaspoon of hydrogen peroxide, typical household hydrogen peroxide, three quarters of a teaspoon in a shot of water, 1.5 ounces, uh, and then over a sink, squirt it up the nose, sniff it back, uh, spit it out the mouth, do that twice on each side, gargle with the rest, good prevention. Yeah. And, you know, that's great. I mean, the way you say uh, to Deborah here that that's a protective state, that's fascinating. And we've surely dealt with a lot of questions here on pregnancy where they have been forced to get vaccines and things of that nature. So this is quite a, an interesting answer to her and should give her some comfort in all women in that uh, capacity. Uh, Elizabeth. Oh, she says, thank you for everything you are doing to help the intelligent Americans navigate through the insanity of this pandemic. You are an amazing human and doctor. I am 40, I am 54 year old uh, female. And although I've been exposed to the virus, I've never gotten the virus. Ironically, I started using the Betadine nasal spray and gargle in February 21, but cannot remember where I read to do that. Here's my question. I am unvaccinated and do not have antibodies or T cell immunity. I, I got the T detect test. If I get the Omicron variant, will it protect me from the Delta variant? How prevalent is the Delta variant in the US as of January 
2022? Uh, current prevalence of Delta variant is less than 2%, but yes, if you get Omicron, it gives back immunity against Delta as shown by Khan and colleagues from South Africa. Yeah, I find that incredible information. And I, I've heard that before, that that this really gives you another type of uh, protection. Uh, it's just incredible. Wild. What a, uh, I, a blessing that is, uh, because Delta was so, so harmful, so lethal. So many died from that. Um, Alice uh, says, can you speak to the emerging COVID psychosis data hmm, that she's, I don't know exactly what she's speaking about, but uh, the emerging COVID psychosis data uh, and is uh, Zycam or a zinc nasal swab or spray helpful, she's asking. You know, the best forms of zinc are ones that actually just get systemically absorbed. So we recommend 50 milligrams of elemental zinc. Zycam is pretty low dose. So I think you have to do about five Zycams a day to hit 50 milligrams of elemental zinc a day. The best the nose sprays uh, that we have reviewed are the Povidone iodine nose sprays. If one actually wants to be committed to a spray instead of a wash, you can also use X-Clear or colloidal silver. Okay. And, um, all right, Betsy says, if I use Dr. McCullough's instructions and am able to fight off COVID with a nasal cleansing, will I gain immunity or does someone have to have full-blown COVID to get immunity? No, you'll gain immunity if you have COVID-19 the syndrome and test positive with the high quality PCR test and PCR threshold less than 28, maybe confirmed with an antigen test. You got a solid case of COVID and you manage it with nasal washes alone, you'll have the the uh, the immunity that you want. Okay. Uh, Jill says, I would very much appreciate your insights. My husband needs surgery later this month. We've both had COVID and are not vaccinated. He may need blood during the operation. Is using blood from a vaccinated person, blood bank, a potential concern? We're both blood type O positive. Should I contact the hospital and see if I can have my blood bank specifically for his surgery? Uh, so that, anyways, that's her general question, I think. You know, it's, it's theoretically possible the blood supplies was contaminated. We notified the blood banking authorities in May, the American Association of Clinical Blood Banking, the American Red Cross. They acknowledged these concerns, uh, but no action was taken. There are so many people now who've had COVID that have circulating antibodies, so many people who have donated uh, blood who either have been vaccinated or have, um, have been recovered. The thought is the, the overall pool now has uh, so much COVID antibodies that if there's any circulatory spike protein is probably not a problem. We have not seen uh, a, a large number of transfusion reactions or other reactions to think that spike protein in the blood supply currently is a large problem. So I would just go with usual care at this point. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, this is interesting. This one here next, uh, Chelsea, she said, I've seen uh, videos of pilots suing the Biden administration for mandating the vaccines. There have also been testimonies of pilots having post vaccine reactions in midair. How much truth is there to this? Is this linked to all of the canceled flights nationwide? I wonder she would be concerned with aircraft travel for now. Well, you can listen to the McCullough Report this weekend on Saturday, the 22nd, Sunday, the 23rd. I have uh, aerospace and occupational safety expert Teresa Long on as my guest, and she's the long interview uh, for this week's on the McCullough Report, and she'll give you all the information and specifically those questions. 
Wow, that's fascinating. Uh, that's that's good to know. And uh, so catch that Saturday and Sunday, uh, friends, at 2 p.m. Uh, the Encore is 7 p.m. And it won't go to podcast till about late Monday, but you'll catch it on talk radio or on the weekend here for sure. Um, okay, this uh, next one is from Steve. Our county full board <laughs> says SARS-CoV-2 antibodies no longer criteria for quarantine exemption, saying they have studies proven that provide an immunity from Omicron. I think they are lying. Can you please ask Dr. McCullough how we should proceed? This is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, Omicron has broken through natural immunity. Um, however, the CDC has given its um, blessing to go to a five-day quarantine period, particularly for asymptomatic positive individuals. And so that would be irrespective of antibody status. So we don't have to quarantine if you just see somebody uh, who has COVID-19 or in contact with COVID-19. It's if you actually have enough of a suspicion, you test negative um, I'm sorry, you test positive for COVID-19, but don't have symptoms, then you can go into quarantine for five days and emerge from quarantine. Uh, clinically now, even if people have COVID-19, if they do not have uh, fever or severe symptoms on days, the last two days of the five-day period, we're going and having them reemerge into work. So hopefully this is helpful. It's going to be changing, uh, but you can see the quarantine periods are getting shorter and shorter and that Omicron has broken through natural immunity, but it's a very mild syndrome. Mm, great. Uh, Kelly says, I believe Dr. McCullough spoke about how the uh, Omicron doesn't discriminate whether vaxxed, unvaxxed, or naturally immune, but that it could help provide antibodies for some of the other variants. If you have Omicron, could you get Omicron again? I hadn't heard that one. Or does it provide natural immunity against that there itself? I, I don't. It, what do you think about that? It, <laughs> that. Provides very, it provides very good immunity against Omicron itself. And that was shown in the con paper, it's clear. I mean, the, the response against Omicron is robust. You, you can only get that one time. Uh, you know, I'm starting to get the feeling that who's on first, who's on second? <laughs> With these variants and the way they are, man. Wow. Uh, Linda says, uh, are the people who are getting uh, Omicron after being sick with a previous COVID-19 variant, uh, ones who've been vaccinated and gotten sick twice, or is it happening with those who did not get the vaccine and are getting sick twice with COVID-19 or both? Is ADE antibody dependent enhancement playing a role in being infected twice for those who did not get the vaccine? Uh, Omicron appears to be hitting both the vaccinated and unvaccinated equally, uh, including the naturally immune. It, it's my experience the naturally immune have the mildest syndrome. Uh, there are some reports that a naturally immune person may actually have no symptoms whatsoever. It may be so so mild as a, an hour or two of a brief fever or what's called viral malaise, just kind of generally feeling bad or running nose. Uh, but it's very brief. It's inconsequential in those who are COVID recovered. Uh, one can actually get the syndrome who's fully vaccinated. I have dozens of those patients in my practice. Again, it's a very mild syndrome. It's like a cold. It may be the most severe, but still relatively mild for those who are unvaccinated and still yet COVID susceptible. Okay, Lewis says, I am a Catholic since birth, uh, 51 years, and am a federal civil service employee. I have submitted a religious exemption from the jab. My question is with the Novavax vaccine tested on aborted fet fetus cells. So he's asking, what is it indeed? 
uh, uh, with the aborted fetus cells in Novavax. I've seen online that it was and wasn't. So do you know for sure? And uh, God bless you and uh, everyone at America Out Loud. So what do you say to that? You know, I don't know for sure. I can just tell you the production of Novavax actually depends on an insect model that like moths are used to produce the, the products that go into the Novavax vaccine. Of course, it's purified, et cetera. So I, I would tend to have the viewers look at the, you know, the production of the technology. Almost all of the molecular biology products that we use do use immortal cell lines at some point in time. That includes Humira, Repatha, Praluent, all the common drugs we use in our clinical practice. And, and maybe if people can't get so, it can't get um, so hung up on uh, what's been done through the course of research and just look at the current production of the product, what's physically in the product, that may be a simpler way to look at it. Well, and that's probably what matters to most, although some, their priorities may be different. Um, these other vaccine companies, you had mentioned previously, Dr. McCullough, that they don't give any of the ingredients that are really in there. In fact, you've mentioned several times you wish they would, so we'd really know what we're dealing with, but they don't. Is Novavax any different with that? Are they given the, the, the ingredients of it? You know, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> so we'll have to see when we see uh, their full investigational brochure in their um, FDA briefing booklet. But, um, you know, the the... the Ingredients per each one of the vaccines have been partially disclosed, but since they haven't been 100% uh, disclosed, it's creating quite a distrust of the public with big pharma. And I see no reason why, since these products are pre-purchased, uh, the companies have made their money, I see no reason why they wouldn't disclose the full ingredient list and then settle down all the nerves of Americans who have been asked to take these products. Yeah, it, it just goes along with the concerns and the unknowns that so many have. Uh, it, it is... Uh... Uh, sad state of affairs. Uh, Leora says, I'm pretty sure that I heard Dr. McCullough give a resource for nurses who advocate for COVID patients in the hospital. I've been searching online and I'm coming up blank. If it's possible for someone to get me the website or the name of the organization, do you know about this? Yeah, I've sent that to you before, Malcolm. That was our last week. American Frontline Nurses. American Frontline Nurses. I'll send you the link uh, again, right now to make sure that that's up there. That's the group that will help in that uh, liaison capability when you're trying to interact with the nurses in the hospital. Okay, cool. So, all right. So that is the same group they're referring to. All right. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, Barbara says, I was astounded to he hear the virus can linger in the body for almost a year. It's been a month since I initially got COVID. As someone that's 70 and unvaccinated, I was ill-prepared with not uh, nearly enough ivermectin as the new protocols are requiring. Uh, I am still using the iodine spray for congestion. I was wondering if taking a double dose of ivermectin at this point would knock this virus out of me sooner rather than later. Well, that doesn't sound like it would be a good idea, would it, Dr. McConnell? No, it's the type of illness. Remember, we get some viral infections and they stay forever. So an example would be the herpes virus families. That would be herpes simplex and varicella zoster virus. Epstein-Barr virus, if you ever had mono, you have it forever, as an example. With SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19, uh, clearly you get it. The surprise was the NIH autopsy study, the Chertow paper, 
which showed at least in one individual, he died at 230 days and the virus was still in him and alive. Now he was an organ transplant patient. He was immunocompromised, but other people died in that autopsy series at several months and each and every person, they found that the virus was alive in the body. So, you know, no one's making a lot of noise about the NIH autopsy study. First author is Chertow. Go check it out on the internet. I think it's important because it explains why do people feel so bad for so long after COVID-19? Because the virus is there. We're past the treatment phase. We're past the infectivity phase. We're at a phase where the body's immune system needs to finish it off on its own. Yeah. Yeah. And we're seeing that. I know a lot of people it's taken long periods of time and they're still having the residual effects of many of these symptoms still. So it is not something that leaves the body quickly for sure. Uh, Linda says, I started with COVID on uh, Sunday and today is my uh, seventh day. This is my worst day. It does not feel anything like a cold, fever every day, Tylenol helps. I started on ivermectin yesterday and I was told to take a, a 325 aspirin. I have a very sensitive stomach. So for now, I'll just take the baby aspirin twice a day. I'm an active 69 um, year, uh, not vaccinated. I live alone and am very anxious as I feel worse today. Outrageous that there is no support from my, pr now listen to this, 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 uh, this makes me unsettled, this kind of stuff. So Linda goes on to say, outrageous that there is no support from my primary care physician. I was the biggest fan of medicine, having been married for 30 years to a primary care physician. But now I have little regard for the doctors, except Dr. McCullough, who is man of the year, she says. So why are doctors failing the people who put their trust in their and their lives in their hands? That's a tough one, Dr. McCullough. Many believe it's called mass formation or mass formation psychosis. We think that doctors are actually in a group psychosis where they have at least temporarily, they're good people, but temporarily they've lost their compassion. They've lost their clinical sense. Uh, that's the reason why they're not treating patients early with COVID-19. That's the reason why they're not treating them compassionately or working with patients' families in the hospital. And that's the reason why they're pushing the vaccine despite record numbers of deaths and injuries. These are all signs of doctors being in a mass formation psychosis. And we're desperately trying to figure out how to bring this large group of doctors back into reality. Hmm, right, that's right. Uh, well, and uh, in programs like there's a summit panel this next week uh, about a second opinion with uh, Senator Ron Johnson and a very prestigious group, correct, Dr. McCullough? Yes, that's very big. That's going to be on uh, Monday, January 24th, 9 a.m. to noon central in the Senate building. It should be fully broadcast on C-SPAN. Uh, we're looking at any other ways to capture the content of it. We have experts divided in that session on what's called the four pandemic response. Experts uh, with some analysis on ways to reduce the spread of the virus. That's pillar number one, pillar number two, early treatment, pillar number three, hospital treatment, and pillar number four, vaccination. More information on that uh, panel discussion uh, from, uh, from Senator Ron Johnson and a very prestigious uh, group of doctors involved in this is back at americaoutloud.com. You'll see it up at the front left sidebar, friends. Uh, so check that out. There's a lot of information there. There's a lot more to be uncovered on all of this ahead. I, I'm sure as the world comes through this cycle, and you know, we started with talking about the UK and Boris Johnson and relaxing the rules out there. And, and I think you'll start to see the world finally start to breathe a little bit more, hopefully, God willing. 
And as we get to the other side, still a lot of unknowns, still a lot of uncertainties, but think of the lessons we've learned as people, and hopefully we'll be that much better off. I, I, we're also reporting on America Out Loud of other dangers coming out of China, other viruses, other... So we are genuinely concerned. I'm genuinely concerned. And I think the community at large should be genuinely concerned of, you know, this gain of function stuff is not something we should be dealing with. But enough of that for time. But you know what I'm talking about out there. You, you don't play with Mother Nature in the ways that these people are doing, period, end stop right there. And that will save us a whole lot of grief and playing with things we don't need to be playing with. Right. And I'm sure you agree with that. Well, you're listening here to the voice of a nation. Uh, this program plays, of course, on America Out Loud Talk Radio Network, uh, 6 and 10 every night to weeknights is where you hear uh, myself, Malcolm, and I cover everything here uh, from healthcare. And of course, we've been on the front lines of COVID, but uh, uh, every everything in society, cultural politics, you name it. I go after all the bad cats on a regular basis and lift up all the good people, which is the way it should be here. Uh, so catch me here during the week here. This is our 14th, I believe, uh, yep, 14th Q&A. Um, these are remarkable programs. Uh, we cannot thank uh, Dr. Peter McCullough enough, who is uh, really, uh, he and I have put in a lot of time and effort to get these truths out to people. Uh, with the, uh, uh, um, the amount of questions we get in here, we, we can't cover, but 1% if we're lucky. Uh, there's so much coming in here, and I apologize for that. We do the very best we can to get the answers to you. A lot of people still suffering and struggling with this thing. The McCullough Report you hear on Saturday and Sunday at 2 p.m. Uh, it is well, well uh, listened to. Uh, and there's an encore at 7 p.m., by the way. All of our shows go to podcasts, my fellow Americans, so you'll catch it there. Everything else is back on the network at America Out Loud. And we are surely on the front lines of liberty and justice for all, rest assured. We'll take a quick pause here and uh, we'll join you on the other side. You're listening to the voice of a nation. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is McCullough Report. I want to put in a quick word and a solid word for Healthy Cell. Healthy Cell uh, is a product line of uh, gel-packed, uh, multi-source vitamins and supplements that are targeted, I think, particularly to help patients recovering from COVID-19. That's my most frequent recommendation to patients in that application. The long COVID syndrome has a variety of neurologic as well as neuromuscular effects on the body. And as I revealed today on the McCullough Report, we now know the virus is in the body for a long period of time. Uh, even up to 230 days after initial infection. So we need everything that Healthy Cell has to offer. Three products that I have in my house uh, used to boost the immune system. We need it as we're fighting off COVID-19 over a long period of time. Uh, the focus and memory product, particularly helping with brain fog and that frustrating uh, set of neurologic and actually psychiatric sometimes symptoms that develop after COVID-19. We get so frustrated with that brain fog and that fuzziness. Um, as we know now, the virus is in the brain. And then lastly, the REM sleep supplement, which uh, restores the healthy sleep quality that no other supplement does. You know, many other uh, sleeping medications and supplements simply force people into sleep, what's called was shortening the sleep latency. That's the 
variable in a sleep study. This healthy cell is completely different. It actually improves the sleep quality. And the concept here is that when sleep, sleep quality improves, one gets a more restful night of sleep, the next day is better. So therefore there's better uh, opportunity to exercise and have a healthier diet. There's fewer stress hormones. And then the next night of sleep, again with healthy cell REM sleep supplement taken on a consistent basis, is another quality night of sleep. And then that uh, very favorable pattern sets in in the human body. One of the things I tell patients is on vitamins and supplements, use them daily and use them consistently. They're not start-stop uh, types of products. We use them daily and use them consistently and then expect over several months, you'll start to see changes in your body. And with this product line, I can tell you, you'll like what you feel. So let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Because of COVID-19, many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 112 times per month. But by simply keeping our immune system strong, we can stay healthy and put our worries at ease. One little known way to do this is by taking AC11, a patented supplement from a plant in the Amazon rainforest. Studied for over 20 years, and backed by over 40 scientific peer-reviewed studies, taking AC11 has been proven to extend the life of immune cells called leukocytes, allowing you to boost immunity naturally. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of AC11. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. is the most magnificent document on earth. We are America Out Loud. Join us as we celebrate the genius of our founding fathers. You can listen in on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. The silent majority has spoken. We say, let the silent voices be heard. You can be the voice of change. Contact our producer at libertyatamericaoutloud.com. Libertyatamericaoutloud.com. And we join you back here on The Voice of a Nation. It is Malcolm Out Loud here, uh, yours truly as always. And uh, thank you for being with us on the mission here. It is a mission that's right, a, a mission of liberty, a mission of justice and truth. And the out loud truth is what I always call it, my friends. And uh, this is our 14th Q&A here where Dr. Peter McCullough joins us now. And as we come through a lot of these questions, so Rick, we seem to always do more questions each time. So we're getting pretty good at this, I think. This next one coming back is from Dave. He says, as someone who has suffered tremendous frustration and distress at the lack of truly scientific discourse around the pandemic, and as a former scientist, I cannot thank you enough for the good work you're doing to enlighten the audience with data-driven information. Amen to that, right? You are truly a great consolation in a world filled with deception. Wow. Please be assured of my prayers. I'm an American living in Italy, where, as you know, we're suffering under one of the most oppressive and unscientific set of COVID laws in the world. 
We received decrees that changed the laws almost on a weekly basis. And just recently was declared that if you do not wear an FFP2 mask and are not recently vaccinated or recently recovered, you cannot even get on a bus or train. And if you were vaccinated more than six months ago, you have to get a third dose. One of the worst aspects is that you have you test positive for the virus. So you cannot come out of state controlled quarantine until you get a negative PCR test. Um, anyways, to get to the point here, his question, the, uh, and he, he lays out an interesting scenario there, I think. His question is the nasal rinse with a 1% solution of povidine iodine that you have been promoting recently. Could it help someone who has recovered from an infection uh, to finally have a negative outcome on a PCR test? You know, we don't know that for sure, but my gut intuition is the answer is yes. And I was so impressed with the PCR reduction in the Chowdhury trial. Just keep in mind that um, I've worked with Dr. <clears throat> Paul Gossett from Chicago, who I've had on the McCullough Report, an anti-infective dentist, as well as an engineer in Dallas, uh, Dr. Charles Bernadine. And they have indicated that there is quite a range of avidone iodine concentrations. Clearly, less than 1% is fine, but whether it's 0.9 or 0.1, it almost doesn't matter. So you can go pretty dilute on this. Uh, sinus doctors do use this for general sinusitis and sinus congestion and proclivity to uh, uh, nasoturbinate infections. So if you wanted to do this chronically over time, uh, people aren't playing fair with these PCR tests. And, and I think there are consequences to having false positives. So if you can keep it negative and this works, go for it. Yeah. There is a lot of interest out there. You, you know, I got to commend you again here, but the, the information of getting this, this uh, povidine iodine uh, solutions out there, uh, has it just had tremendous um, results for people. And I, I just feel really good. I, I've got a few more questions in that realm. I'm going to try to slide in here on that uh, measure here. Uh, Mimi uh, says, how does continuous use of the dilute povidine iodine solution impact the microbiome of the sinus and oral cavities? In the same way that oral antibiotics disrupt the gut microbiome and create an unhealthy atmosphere, can the iodine solution kill all the good bacteria in your sinus and throat too, and set you up for infections. thought that was interesting. Malcolm, I just got this text in from a patient of mine who got Omicron. And I told him, just do the iodine washes because he's a relatively young guy. He's, I'm looking at it right now. He's probably about 50 and he's healthy. He texted me back. I wanted to let you know that after using the iodine nasal spray mix, my fever and other symptoms have totally cleared up after two days. Wow. And, and I can tell you, it really does work. There's no doubt about it. And yes, it can be used. And uh, when it's used acutely in treatment, we use it every four hours. It may temporarily change the microbiome of the nasopharynx. Uh, but don't forget the bacteria that are in the nasopharynx all the way through the um, oral pharynx and into the GI tract and the sinopulmonary uh, uh, tract, that they're contiguous with one another. And all you're really doing is beating down the virus up in the nose uh, to a point where your body's own immune system can handle it. We don't think this is enough to change your global microbiome. And it's pretty transient. Uh, I, I, at this point in time, I think the big threat is the Omicron virus replicating like crazy in the nasal cavity and knocking it down. 
Yeah, uh, you know, I'm, this is interesting. There's a part B to this I, I do want to get in here because I'm learning some things. I think listeners are uh, with a lot of these thoughts on the Pubidine iodine. Uh, Mimi goes on to say, should we be snorting and gargling uh, probiotics, uh, okay, to counteract any negative impact on the iodine, they're asking here. Also, should people who do this regularly have their iodine levels tested to make sure they aren't overdoing it? What do you think about those two? Um, I think that uh, first off, people use neti pots, they use other saline washes. And, um, you know, I think at this point in time, honestly, probiotics are really for the the GI tract. I'm not a sinus expert, so I don't want to get outside of my range. Uh, The the impact on iodine on the thyroid was tested in one of the uh, preclinical studies. And it shows, you know, temporarily iodine when acutely administered actually suppresses thyroid function a little bit, and then it equals out. You know, we have iodine and salt. Uh, We actually have an iodized food supply, if you will. Uh, So because this is not swallowed, the feeling is you don't uh, enough iodine absorption to really influence uh, the thyroid or the body one way or the other. Okay. Now that post, by the way, on the Bubadine iodine and the charts and the graphs that Dr. McCullough actually created on his, I think it was your kitchen counter, I think, Dr. McCullough, you shared with us, right? Uh, the last Q&A. That is one of the most researched and read pieces out there. Uh, and that is available in COVID resources on the front page of americaoutloud.com. On the left bar on the left side, there are some tremendous resources there from a series of uh, important ones that you'll want to get. That one is right there. Um, I want to stay in this area just for a moment here with a couple of others. Jason uh, asked, in regards to the povidine iodine, have there been any studies in regards to the nebulizing or mistin and inhaling a povidine iodine? I thought this was fascinating. Through a diffuser or nebulizer to get iodine into the lungs for any COVID cases that have pulmonary involvement. This occurred to me because you've been so talking about it and how important it is to get it into the nasal cavities and the throat so it's directly in contact with the virus there. So maybe the lungs could get this benefit as well? Interesting question. You know, iodine is for external use only. It says right on the bottle. So uh, believe it or not, when you want to do any type of nebulization or go deeper, then we switch over to hydrogen peroxide. And it would be very dilute hydrogen peroxide, a one to three dilution uh, three quarters of a teaspoon in a shot glass of water, 1.5 cc's. So uh, uh, hydrogen peroxide nebulization, that has enough of a clinical track record. That's been done in COVID-19, and it is a good idea. You know, you mentioned that povidone iodine shot on my kitchen countertop in Dallas, Texas. And in fact, that's where it came from. You know what? That was on screen last night on Flashpoint. They actually showed the picture on national TV. It was great to see. That's my kitchen countertop, and there's the povidone iodine. Well, it's every day that thing trends up. People are, it's a, it's a great resource we put together there. So uh, really tremendous. Um, that was a great question uh, from Jason. I'm glad we cleared that up because I didn't know that either. Uh, Donna says in regard to the PVD, the Pavidon iodine, uh, prophylaxis and treatment, uh, you've been very specific as how to mix it and use it. Okay. However, I am unable to tolerate the PVD, so hydrogen peroxide would be my next option. However, nothing is said other than dilute hydrogen peroxide. In terms of the strength of the solution, can you be more specific? Is it 50%, 25% help? It's a a one to three dilution. And so the best way to think about this, uh, typically hydrogen peroxide comes in a 3% solution in the bottle. So if you do a one to three dilution of that, that would come out to three quarters of a teaspoon in a shot glass of water, 1.5 cc. So it's pretty easy to remember. 
Okay, so Donna, that helps you right there. There, there it is, uh, direct. Uh, Julie says, I'm looking for the dosage for the nasal wash gargle with food grade hydrogen peroxide. Is that the same thing we just talked about? Is that yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna be the same. Same thing, yeah. Uh, also, my, well, also my elderly mother is allergic to hydrogen peroxide and has a thyroid problem. So doing the wash with iodine or HTO is not gonna be possible. Do you know of any other options she could use to do a wash and gargle to protect herself? She could use colloidal silver or X clear in the nose and then gargle with Listerine. Okay. And, and look up that, uh, uh, the, the, uh, Pavidon iodine paper on the platform on a Mark Loud, uh, Julie as well. will help you with a lot of details in there. Um, just a couple more of these more by this. Paul says, I believe I've heard Dr. McCullough say to use 1% of the betadine and also 10% betadine at various times. Can someone please clarify which it is, or does it really matter? The bottle that you buy from the store is a 10% Pavidone iodine solution. It's in the bottle. It's a thick brown solution, and that's diluted 10 to 1, 10 to 1. So that 10% solution gets diluted down to a 1% solution with water. And the way to do that is half a teaspoon of Pavidone iodine diluted in 1.5 ounces of water, a shot glass of water, half a teaspoon, shot glass of water. That will get you to under 1% solution. Okay, perfect, perfect, right. Last one on this is from Reba on this Pavadon iodine topic. I've heard about the Pavadon iodine treatment on the Charlie Kirk podcast, and I'm wondering if this is safe for someone that has taken NP thyroid medication. I had Graves' disease and had my thyroid blasted with radioactive iodine and now require thyroid therapy meds. What do you say to that? I would stay away from it in case there's any residual Graves tissue there. You know, Graves disease and a hyperfunctioning nodule are the two areas where you don't want to juice it with iodine. So in this case, I would use the hydrogen peroxide strategy. Okay, terrific. You know, we covered so much of the uh, very interesting questions and answers here in the Pavadon iodine. We need to mention that to folks uh, that, that this particular one, number 14, has a lot of insight on that. So this, this was really helpful to folks. I appreciate that. Now, this next one's from Christy, uh, who says, my daughter, who is 16, had COVID four weeks ago. She has had a regular menstrual cycle since she first began having them at age 11. She's not pregnant and is two weeks last uh, uh, starting her cycle this month. Uh, I have heard many instances of the COVID vaccine causing disruptions in menstruation and uh, co could the same be true with actual COVID infection? Yes, the answer is both can do it. Okay, all right. Celine says, my husband's 83 and, and has, a, 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 has an AFib and takes Eliquis as a blood thinner. Would there be any uh, contradictions for him to take hydroxychloroquine if he was to get COVID? He is not overweight and is not diabetic. He has not been vaccinated. When, he, when we have tried to address this with his doctors, we cannot get an answer. Isn't this sinful when they say this? They are just pushing the vaccines. They did say get the monoclonal antibodies, but they apparently are no longer available in Texas where we are. Um, he does have access to HCQ. Uh, what do you think for this 83-year-old, Celine's asking? That would be fine. Uh, for the uh, hydroxychloroquine? Right. No interaction between hydroxychloroquine and those oral blood thinners. Okay. All right. Maureen says, thank you for all you do to educate us and inform and protect. My question is about the Novavax SARS-CoV-2 vaccine. Is there a risk and how big of a risk in getting reactivity against ferritin and permanent iron, iron deficiency anemia? I don't think there's a risk there. The biggest risk is going to be a sore arm 
with Novavax, and it looks relatively free of systemic effects like, you know, influenza and iron or other blood test results. Okay. All right. Mark says, I received the uh, uh, Moderna. Okay, there it is. Moderna RNA vaccine in March 21 and wasn't educated enough about any possible side effects. I'm a healthy 36-year-old male and I'm now worried about potential negative consequences from the vaccine. Do you have any recommendations on what tests could be done to evaluate any potential negative impact? The only test I measure early on, I mean, early within a month, someone who's taken a Moderna young man like this is I would do blood tests looking for heart injury. If there's symptoms, including a troponin BNP, galactin three ST2. And I would also order a D dimer test to indicate if the blood coagulation system is activated. Now, assuming this person is now several months down the line, maybe even a year after Moderna, I wouldn't do anything more. Uh, My personal view is uh, that the body does fight off the messenger RNA and fights off the spike protein, and that there's no harm, no foul a year later, provided no boosters are taken. Okay. This one's from Beth. Uh, uh, we're in Australia uh, and patiently waiting for approval of Novavax by the TGA, and we've been led to believe that Novavax is a safer option than the uh, mRNA vaccines because it uses old school technology. However, I've just read that Dr. Richard Fleming recently wrote is critical for people to understand information about the drugs being used for vaccines, including Novavax. Here is how Novavax is made. What's being injected is the spike protein and other irritants. It still contains the prions of GP120 and the PLD near receptor binding site. Please, please, can Dr. McCullough speak about this issue with the, with the prions and does he still think that it's a better option? Now, I understand what Dr. Fleming uh, is saying. Sure, it's still spike protein, but I think the issue is quantity. Remember, there is some spike protein that gets in the body with COVID-19, the respiratory illness. That's how we form antibodies to it. But I think the fact that the spike protein is limited, it is in a matrix, uh, it should not, it's not being produced inside cells. Uh, it's not uh, getting the type of distribution to the brain that we would see with lipid nanoparticles. I have the hunch, I can't prove it, that Novavax is going to be far safer than the other vaccines. But I understand Dr. Fleming's uh, theoretical concern. But again, it's theoretical right now until we actually see Novavax at work. Okay. John says, my child was exposed to someone with COVID who was informed by the school. Although they were, there were never any symptoms observed during the following five days, a COVID test is required to return to school. It's the same requirement for both vaxxed and COVID-naive uh, children. There is no test for immunity and no difference in the steps, even if the child had already recovered from COVID. What is the rationale for testing? Even if there are no observed symptoms, especially in children, wouldn't the risk from the test or false positives be a concern? There is no scientific support for that strategy. There's no regulatory support. The CDC doesn't even say to do that. So the school is way out of line demanding tests return to school for somebody who had COVID or someone who's exposed. And the listener is right that the only risk is actually of you know, damaging the nose or the base of the skull with the, with the swabs, uh, the discomfort of it, and getting false positive tests. When someone's asymptomatic and a test is positive, it can be up to 97% chance it's just a false positive, wasting more time and taking more time out of school. 
Okay, this one's from uh, Francesca. Thank you for your courageous and good work. I have a friend who, after receiving the booster for COVID, has felt deep pressure in her chest as though she's getting a heart attack. She's currently on heart medication, tapering off. All heart tests say her heart is normal. Can you please direct me to your protocol for re uh, re recovering from vac from recovering from vax injury? I'd like to send it to her. Thank you again, and may God bless and protect you. You know, this may be a case of what we call subclinical myocarditis or myopericarditis. It is, I practice if there's some chest discomfort and I go through the workup like this and everything's okay. The next step after the routine tests are done would be to do cardiac MRI. And the cardiac MRI is kind of the truth test of whether or not there is indeed vaccine-induced heart injury going on. In the paper by Trong and colleagues from the University of Utah at Salt Lake, they found the spectrum myocarditis. In fact, we're having heart damage by MRI. Okay, we're time for one more. This last one is from Mina. She said, I just wanted to thank you, Dr. McCullough and America Out Loud for these Q&A sessions. I've been a big fan uh, throughout this COVID-19, but listening to your show has given the knowledge and courage to help my 86-year-old father when he fell ill recently with COVID-19. He has COPD and we were particularly worried, but we treated him using the protocols for early treatment without hospitalization. And I'm happy to say he is doing well and on the road to recovery. I shudder to think what would have happened if we did not know what we know and had sent him to the hospital. Thank you for all you're doing to spread the truth and information on how to stay healthy. So that was actually ending Dr. McCullough on a positive note and less of a question, but a comment on keeping them out of the hospital. That has been the key throughout this whole thing is keeping people out of the hospital. Sometimes there's, there's not a choice and people do end up there. But you can see from this listen and the information they've gotten here, uh, last thoughts. I mean, we started with the UK. We started with what's happened in these countries, bringing it all together now here. And now big week coming up in the days ahead. You feel pretty good about things. Yeah, I think there is starting to be a change. I was on Laura Ingram, uh, Fox News last night uh, in primetime uh, hour with her. And there is a sense that uh, the narrative is crumbling, that there's cracks here that realize there's government overreach. <clears throat> there was clearly um, a situation where things were getting out of hand. A couple of those comments about unnecessary testing uh, mandates that are uh, threatening people's jobs. We're hoping these stories tend to die down and we start to have the types of stories we just heard at the very end that even somebody in their 90s can be protected against a calamitous hospitalization and death. And Malcolm, I think you can say for, uh, you know, by firsthand experience, that COVID-19 is a rough illness for some people and even treatment at home, even if we do the best we can and we actually have to capitulate and go to the hospital, the early treatment is at home is what makes the hospital stay relatively brief and uncomplicated. But when we have no hospital, no pre-hospital care and patients are starved of any treatment and they crash into the hospital, that's where the outcomes are terrible, including a very prolonged hospitalization and death. So the principles of early treatment really ought to be ringing through very strong in this program. Yeah, it, it, exactly. This thing does attack the body in every which way you can imagine, my friends, and it just keeps coming at you. You know, a couple of our hosts have it right now, their families. One of my producers has it. I said to her, actually, even this morning, uh, she said, I feel pretty good today. And I remind her, you've got to keep an eye on this because COVID is very unpredictable. Uh, it, it, you feel good one moment and then the next it attacks you in another way. And then you have the long-term effects of it as well. So it is being diligent. It is being knowledgeable. 
approachable and there's a lot of knowledge and information we're trying to get out to all of you here. Um, tremendous thank you here to Dr. Peter McCullough for this Q&A. Uh, my friends, we'll continue on the front lines here. Um, you know, thank you for getting the information out there to folks. We just want to help as many people as we possibly and potentially can. Um, so we keep the good word going here. Thank you again for being on the mission. It's time to get involved and get loud.